Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 62 of the podcast, or you're watching it on YouTube. We're up on YouTube now. And it is Monday, August the 28th, a day later than usual. So if you were expecting the episode on Monday morning and it wasn't there, that's because I was traveling this weekend to Chicago, and that's why I wasn't very active on social media either for the big boxing match on Saturday night. So I'm pretty tired, a lot of traveling this weekend, but I'm also on a little bit of a high from, you know, weekends and combat sports history, a really exciting time for boxing and for mixed martial arts, uh, something that I know a lot of you are very passionate about, as passionate as I am about it. Uh, I am joined, of course, two weeks in a row. This has been a rarity lately uh, by my co-host all the way from New Jersey, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you feeling on this Monday evening, my friend? I'm good, and yeah, making it two weeks in a row, trying to get the ball rolling. But Bill, I'm awesome. I'm glad that you were in Chicago for the weekend. But why don't you? Why don't we start off with that? Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you saw and what you ate over there? Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely want to get into that. Um, before that, and before any fight talk, I want to let the listeners know that our thoughts are definitely with uh, those suffering in Houston, Texas, right now from the awful flooding they're having out there. Uh, it's really a tragedy. You hate to see people put in a situation like that just because of where they live. And, you know, we hope everybody uh, makes it out of there okay. If you have the means, uh, please donate some money to a reputable charity. Uh, you know, make sure it's the money's going to the right places. I would recommend the American Red Cross. They're doing a lot of good things down there right now. Uh, if you have any other charities that you would recommend, please reach out on social media and I'll be happy to share some links out and, uh, you know, raise some awareness. But uh, in the meantime, American Red Cross is definitely a reputable resource where you can uh, make some donations and help some people out. It's really awesome to see, you know, the brighter side of humanity in situations like this, like people who are taking their boats down to Houston to go and rescue people off the roofs of their houses and, and things like that, uh, you know, who aren't you know, firefighters or police officers or, or public service workers at all. They're just regular people who want to help out regular people that they don't even know. So, um, you, you know, there's a lot of negativity in the country and in the world. So it's, it's awesome to see that there's people like that out there that are still willing to do things like that. So uh, definitely all the best to everybody out in Houston. Um, any thoughts on this whole uh, catastrophe, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I actually got a really good friend of mine out there right now. Luckily, he's not in the Houston area. He's visiting family uh, about an hour from the coast. So uh, we're pretty worried about him because uh, we got like a group chat going. Uh, luckily, he's okay out there. And, uh, you know, like you said, our thoughts go out to everybody out there. And like, I agree with you, dude. I'm so happy on because I've been following the news on YouTube. Uh, NBC is doing like uh, round the clock around the clock, sorry, I said around the cock, around, around the clock. That's a different show, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I apologize, I meant to say around the clock coverage uh, of the event. So like you said, it's awesome seeing uh, some of these guys that just live out there and they happen to have boats. Uh, I don't know where Houston is in Texas, so you know, that's awesome that they're going out there helping people as much as they can. Um, and it's crazy, dude. You know, you see some of these pictures and some of the water is up to treetops. 
Uh, some people get like four feet of, of water in their houses. So, you know, hopefully there's the least amount of damage possible. And like you said, it's, it's tough to see that. But I'm glad that so many people are banding together to help out everybody else. Yeah, it's, it's always awesome to see, you know, the positive aspects uh, of humanity out there, especially when there's so much bullshit going on. So it's good to see some people uh, doing some good and, and helping some strangers out. It's, a, it's really awesome. Hopefully that continues until everybody uh, is home safely somewhere, uh, you know, whether it be back in Houston once it drains out or, or wherever it is they got to move to. So hope everybody ends up somewhere safe and sound. Um, <clears throat> so I was, I was up in Chicago for the weekend. Jeff, it was my first time there. Uh, I just went up, uh, you know, to check out a convention, um, and of course I had to do some deep dish pizza. So <laughs> this is the thing to do in Chicago. I'm from New York, so I'm a bit of a pizza snob, I must say, self-professed pizza snob. Um, but I had to try out the deep dish. I have to say, it's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would consider it pizza though. It's more like cake with pizza ingredients, <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> it's because it's so, it's so rich and there's just so, you know, there's so much bread and like, you can't, you know, you could say, you know, oh, I could eat five slices of pizza if you're in New York or you go into a regular pizzeria or something, if you're really hungry, uh, I would like to meet the person who could eat five slices of deep dish because I got there. I didn't eat anything all day. I went to a place called uh, Lou Malnati's, which, by the way, thank you to everybody who sent me recommendations when I announced that I was going to be in Chicago. And uh, thank you for letting me know some places I could check out the fights. Uh, I, I wound up just watching in my hotel room because I, I was pretty tired. But uh, we'll get to that later. So Lou Malnati's is the place that I went. Uh, for pizza and anybody who's visiting Chicago in the near future, I would definitely recommend that this is the place you go. Their deep dish pizza was so legit. You have to, it's like a process because it's, it's crowded because it's a popular spot. So you go in, you put in for a table and you have a certain wait time, but you order your pizza ahead of time. So you go sit at the bar, uh, have a couple of drinks. I had an anti-hero IPA, which is a, a local IPA in Chicago, really tasty really hoppy, but still kind of light, really nice beer, right up my alley. It would be totally up your alley too, Jeff, because mm. uh, I, I know you're into the, the lighter IPAs. Um, so you put in your pizza early because it takes like 30 to 40 minutes to cook a pizza, even though I got a small, you know, because it's so thick, mm. you know, it takes a while to heat all the layers. So what they do is they have the crust, it's called crust is what you have to get because they they butter up the outside of the crust so it gets real crispy against that um, tin pan they cook it in, in the oven there. Uh, and then they layer like cheese. They take like, I, I got the classic dish recipe. They take like sausage, but it's not like sausage we have on pizza in New York and New Jersey where it's like, you know, they slice it up. It's ground sausage and they make it like a sheet. So it's like a thin layer across the whole pizza. So, you know, it, everything is super even and super symmetrical. So you'll get the same bite all the way to the crust. And then uh, they do fresh tomato sauce on the top. And then I ordered pepperoni on top of that. So it's just like layers. It's like a lasagna with a crust around it, like a thick, 
pizza crust and man, it was just delicious. I put some pictures up on Instagram at MMA on the rocks and uh, I did one of those boomerang videos of like lifting the, the pizza out of the tray with all the cheese and uh, man, that was, that was tasty but it was the first, first time I ate that day. It was Friday when I arrived in Chicago and it was about 3.30, 3.45 by the time I ate. Jeff, I couldn't eat the rest of the day. I had two slices of a small and and a, and an IPA, and I was like, oh, "I'll just walk this off, and then I'll go get dinner somewhere." I I walked like a couple of miles. Did a lot of walking around Chicago. Really beautiful city in the downtown area. Uh, don't go to the south end or the west side because you'll definitely get murdered. Um, especially these days, it's like the murder capital of the country right now. But uh, downtown Chicago is beautiful. Uh, and, and super clean. It's like a cleaner version of New York City. Even the subway is pretty clean. Uh, so I was impressed by that. And the Chicago River is super clean. It used to be like where they dumped all the garbage and everything. But then uh, one of the mayors came in and was like, you know, we could use this river for something good. And he, you know, demanded that they clean it out and they clean the whole thing out. And now it's like really popular real estate. They have some gorgeous buildings, beautiful architecture along the river. I took like an architecture tour. Really cool. Um, and then I tried some local whiskey, but I'll talk about that later because I don't want to. I don't want to get too uh, in depth about my trip. I, I did a lot in a in a, in a small amount of days um, in Chicago. Uh, you know, I always try to get the most out of every city I visit, and I feel like I definitely got a a good perspective of Chicago life. So great city, uh, cool uh, blues music culture. I'm a big blues music fan. I got to go to Buddy Guy's Bar. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, blues guitar player, uh, greatest living guitar player right now, in my humble opinion. He's uh, 82 years old, I believe, and the guy can still shred. Uh, I've seen him live five times, and uh, his mid-70s on, uh, but he blows me away every time. So I, I got to go to his bar and restaurant. It's like a little dingy kind of... Uh, Blues bar, but you can tell there's a lot of history there. Very guys have have come come in there and played sets like impromptu sets. So awesome, really rich in blues history that town and that bar. Um, so I got to experience a, a lot of uh, positivity in Chicago. It was really awesome, and a lot of awesome pizza too. So I'll talk about the whiskey a little bit later. Uh, don't let me forget, Jeff. Uh, but you know, we had a pretty big uh, combat sporting event this weekend that we got to talk about. Um, I, I got to say probably this combat sporting event of hype behind this is that it lived up to the hype. Uh, what were your thoughts, Jeff? Do you think, uh, you know, do you think, and, and what were your thoughts on the whole experience, you know, the build up, the fight, and the post fight and and everything else and and all the banter about it in the media. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought that Conor McGregor held up surprisingly well. Uh, I think he really surprised everybody in those first three or four rounds. You know, he came out strong, and then you could kind of tell that you know he's just not used to being in there in three minute bursts. And you have to remember Conor McGregor, even in the UFC, he's only been to a twenty five minute round once. And, you know, it's exhausting, dude. So he fought basically, you know, went into the 10th round, so about 30 minutes. And like I said, those three-minute bursts, they just 
caught up to him at the end, unfortunately. And some people will argue that it was an early stoppage. I disagree. I think that even if it had kept going another round, I think it would have been the same result just because McGregor was exhausted. I mean, his legs were – his footwork wasn't the same anymore. You know, his his hands were down. His body was kind of hanging forward uh, mm-hmm. in front of his legs, so that's always a bad sign in sports, I feel like. Um, but, Bill, what, what do you think about the finish? Uh, what did you think about the fight? I, I love the fight. I thought it was really entertaining. I thought they both put on a great show, uh, which is awesome because a lot of times there's so much hype behind these things, and, and sometimes the biggest fights don't deliver. So it's awesome that they both went out there and put it all on the line. We saw a very different Floyd Mayweather than we've seen in the past. Uh, he fought a very different style. He got tagged a little bit in the beginning. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, rolling away as much as he usually does. He wasn't playing – a lot of head movement like he usually does. He was staying in the pocket with Connor, and he was paying for it. Um, but that's how, also how he was able to uh, read Connor's movements and pick up on his tendencies. I thought Connor looked good. I think he looked uh, a lot better as a boxer um, than a lot of people thought he would, a lot better than I thought he would. He has a nice jab, a uh, nice lead jab that was you know getting through a lot against Floyd, which is surprising. Uh, he fell into Floyd's game plan, which, you know, anybody who is an analyst or who's really into either sport is, you, you know, kind of predicted. You know, I was I was kind of talking with my dad uh, during the fight, and my dad was like, wow, Connor's like doing really well the first couple of rounds. And I was like, dad, Con- uh, Mayweather's going to take off the first four or five rounds just to kind of, you know, download all the patterns and everything like that. Um, but you know, for people who didn't realize that's what was going on, then it, it makes it that much more of an exciting fight because you think, you know, Connor actually has a chance in those first couple of red dots, and he was looking good. His movement was great. Uh, he was sneaking in those little hammer fists on top of Floyd's head, and he kept <laughs> yelling at him. And, and Connor's like, what? Like, it, it, almost seemed like, it almost seemed like he really didn't know he couldn't do that, which, <laughs> which made it entertaining. Um, I, I thought Connor would be a lot stronger in the clinch, hmm. but Floyd was able to neutralize it. Uh, you know, and credit to him because if if there was going to be anywhere that Connor would have an advantage in a boxing match, it would be in the clinch because that's the one position that relates directly to MMA. You know, as far as everything else, the footwork is different, the head movement's different, the way you throw punches is different, but a clinch is a clinch. So for Floyd to be able to neutralize uh, the clinch of a guy who does have grappling experience and who does uh you know a lot more clinch work than floyd does uh the fact that he was able to neutralize it and he was even able to weigh on connor's arms a little bit which helped contribute to connor tiring out later in the fight uh you know credit to floyd mayweather uh he he looked great and then he turned up the volume at exactly the right time the the guy is 15-0 for good reason uh so that that's been a a, a bit of uh talk amongst um you know, boxing pundits and people in the boxing world, uh, a lot of people saying that there should be an asterisk next to the 50-0 because he didn't really beat a boxer in his 50th fight. Uh, I have an opinion on that, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Jeff. Uh, do you think it's legitimate that he beat Rocky Marciano's record? For those of you who don't know, if you don't follow boxing, Rocky Marciano was 49-0. and uh, He held the record for you know, the longest undefeated streak until Floyd Mayweather tied it when he uh, defeated Manny Pacquiao two years ago. And now he surpassed that record at 50-0. and 
What do you think, Jeff? Uh, legitimate or not? I think it's legitimate. I mean, come on. He fought a really game fighter. Uh, he fought someone, a fighter who is one of the top fighters in his own sport. So I think that's saying something. I, I don't think, you know, maybe a lot of boxing fans who don't watch MMA don't know who Conor McGregor is. But, you know, his his accolades and his accomplishments, you can't knock them. So even if they are in another sport. So, you know, he's a multiple weight, multiple division champion. Uh in more than one organization. So you can't knock the guy, man. I think it's a legit win. Yeah. Uh, and I think Floyd Mayweather said a lot of the same in some of the post-fight interviews I heard. So uh, I'll, I'll make it even simpler for you. It was a boxing match that was sanctioned by an athletic commission. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, whether the guy's been a boxer or not, you know, I think you could call into question a lot of Floyd Mayweather's wins if you really wanted to. I mean, look at the records of some of the guys he fought early on. We all know that boxing records get padded early in people's careers when they want to build people up. He's fought guys who were like 0-4 and, and like 3-20. and 20. Um, I don't know the exact statistics, but, you know, if you really want to dive into it and bitch about it, you know, you could, you could go that route. But uh, at the end of the day, he's had 50 sanctioned professional boxing matches, and he's won every single one of them. So you can't take that away from the guy. Uh, I understand a lot of people don't like him as a person. Uh, I'm kind of with you on that. <laughs> um, he's, he's done some really dirtbag things, but um, you, know, you can't deny what he's been able to do inside the boxing ring. Uh, so you know, credit to him for that. And uh, I think as time goes on, I think he will be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. Uh, everything else tends to kind of fade away over time, and it's just the numbers that stand. And the numbers that are going to go in the record books are 50 defeats, zero losses, zero draws. So, <clears throat> you know, people, as time goes on, I think people will be able to make a, a better argument for why he was uh, one of the greatest of all time. Some people would say the greatest of all time. I, I wouldn't, but, uh, you know, he's definitely got to be in the conversation. So, any other takeaway from the fight itself, you know, the buildup, the drama, uh, the aftermath, you know, they were at, they were seen at the post-fight press conference, like arm in arm, like best buddies. I thought it was a great show of sportsmanship. Uh, I think they both really wanted to put on a great show for the fans and, you know, no harm done with all the buildup, all the trash talk, everything like that. It was just business to both of these guys and uh, they both made each other a lot of money and, you know, they, they gave their fans the, their money's worth. So any thought on any of the aftermath, Jeff? Uh, it was good. You know, it was nice to see them shaking hands and hugging it out at the end. Uh, it was nice to see them complimenting each other's skill sets, which, you know, I thought both guys did a great job. You know, um, at the end of the day, it was a lot more entertaining than I thought. Um, I thought that Conor McGregor made some good points in how some people doubted his skill set. You know, he looked pretty good in there for someone who has never been in a sanctioned boxing match before, uh, for someone who is boxing, you know, we've never actually seen in a professional uh, stance, like where it's just boxing. So I thought that was nice. Um, and also, uh, it was cool that uh, Conor McGregor's got his his hand in basically all the cookie jars. He's got a line of suits coming out. He's working on the notorious uh, whiskey, Irish whiskey that he's working on. Oh, um, I didn't hear about that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, he came. Yeah, in the press conference uh, after the fight, he comes out with this bottle of whiskey, and it says the notorious on it. And he was saying how he, uh, how he's working on that, uh, taking over the Irish whiskey game. Which you know, I'll definitely give it a try. But speaking of Irish whiskey, Bill, what were you drinking on this fine occasion? Okay, um, I, I found I got my hands on uh, a local whiskey. I just happened to be. Uh, down at the hotel bar, and I was I was reading the menu, and I was I was looking for, you know, something nice I could take neat back up to the room, and so I was looking over the the whiskeys they had, and they had asterisks. Uh, funnily enough, they had asterisks uh, this time in a good sense next to uh, local spirits. So they had a local bourbon that's called Few F E W, and this was a really tasty bourbon and it was really surprising. So it's made all with uh, local grains. So they, all the, all the grains that are used to make the bourbon come right from Illinois. And if I read correctly on their website, uh, the grains are made in the same building where they make the whiskey. So they make the bourbon in, in charred oak barrels, but it didn't have a super smoky flavor. In fact, it was really sweet. It had like a floral and, fruity scent on the nose so you expect something completely different because you you smell it and it smells like almost like a sweet wine you know like it's made out of uh peaches or, or grapes or something and then when you get the first sip it has a uh, a slight burn because it's uh 93 proof i believe I want to say that. yes, 93 proof, so that's 46% alcohol by volume for you mathematicians out there. So uh, slightly more alcohol content than your typical bourbon. Like I said last week, typical bourbons uh, are about 80 proof, 40% alcohol. Um, and uh, it, the aftertaste is like a smooth vanilla. So it had like a vanilla-y burn, and the vanilla kind of settles in on your tongue. Um, so it was definitely really interesting, really complex flavors. And, uh, I hadn't really heard about this whiskey before, but you know, whenever I'm in a town, I always go for, uh, local stuff, you know, support local, drink local, as I always say. So this was really delicious bourbon. Um, I really want to try their rye as well. Um, so I only had, I only had the bourbon. I just had, you know, a little sifter. Maybe it was a double. Uh, <laughs> very likely it was a double. And then, uh, I, I also picked up a fifth of wild Turkey one Oh one. Uh, and that was making me feel nice by the time the Conor McGregor fight, uh, came along. And what about yourself, Jeff? Were you sipping on anything during this, uh, combat sports spectacle? Yeah, Bill. Uh, so a friend of mine drinks this one, uh, it's kind of a cheaper beer. Um, but it's, it's enjoyable, man. It's called, uh, real steel. Okay. Um, Tell me about it. Hold on. Or is it just called Steel? I forget the name of it. Uh, I don't know where it's brewed. Um, and it's one of those beers that, like, you, after, like, one of them, you, you start to feel pretty good. And then it's, it just it goes down really smooth. So that's a thing now. Uh, it's, it's called Steel. Or is it okay. or Real Steel? Hold on. Let me look this up. All right. It's either um, Steel but, or Real uh, Steel. All right. Yeah, I'm intrigued. But, um, Hey, whether it's cheap or not is irrelevant. If it gets the job done, it gets the job done. Do we have another uh, sighting of the party animal, Wilson, or was this just a chill and sip on beer and watch? No, this was, <laughs> no, this was, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's called steel reserve. It's called steel reserve. Mm. Uh, 
so it's brooding California, pretty solid stuff. And, you know, this was a more laid back version of myself, Bill, because, uh, you know, I was having people over, <laughs> I was hosting, couldn't get too out of control. So uh, Steel Reserve, dude. So as, as we kept on drinking into the night, we would just yell out, I feel the steel. So <laughs> if you want to feel the steel, pick up a can of Steel Reserve. And they got right. a whole bunch of flavors, too, that I want to try. Really? Flavored beer? Yeah. Um, okay. They have this one purple one. I I think it's like a grape flavor. I haven't tried it yet. My friend has. Oh, but, grape flavored uh, beer. You're losing up. me here, Jeff. <laughs> grape flavored beer? No, you got you to gotta give it a chance, man. Hey, I'll try anything twice. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, few. Few bourbon was awesome. It had a burn up front and, uh, you know, kind of settled in with a vanilla sweetness, much like the ending of the uh, Connor Mayweather fight. Uh, because I was I was among the people who thought it was an early stoppage. You know, I, I thought, you know, let the guy go out on his shield, let him go down. Because we saw uh, in the second Nate Diaz fight uh, that kind of posture from him where he kind of flails around when he's getting tired and then he catches a second wind. Uh, you know, once he gets his legs back under him, he's able to recover. But, uh, you know, that was just my initial reaction while I'm watching the fight. Uh, after letting it sink in for a little bit and after uh, some of the wild turkey wore off, uh, I realized you have to err on the side of caution, especially if you're the referee in this match. And uh, you got to look out for the guy who's never been in a boxing match before and, you know, might try to be a little bolder uh, than he should be. So uh, I think it was definitely the right call by the referee to stop the fight there. Um, but, you know, luckily Connor was fine. He didn't seem punch drunk. Uh, he, I felt like he was able to analyze his performance uh, very wisely. Uh, there was a couple of times where I felt like Mayweather was turning his back to Connor. And, and Mayweather even said that Connor was stepping around him. But even still, Mayweather just kind of turtled up. He didn't turn to face him and you know we always say it's a bad sign when you're turning your back to your opponent but uh, I think Connor just did so many things that were unexpected that Floyd didn't really know how to react um, but you know he was able to stay composed and he stuck to his game plan to a T which is what he does best you know better than um, better than being one of the best defensive boxers of all time, better than his actual boxing skills, better than anything you could say about him is his ability to stay composed. Um, and you have to admire, admire uh, Conor McGregor for getting in there, uh, you know, walking into the unknown and, and taking a risk like this, uh, you know, knowing that the deck was stacked against him and it was very likely would come away with a loss. Uh, he's always taken risks in his career. Uh, say what you want about the guy otherwise, but, you know, he's never backed down from a fight. Uh, even when he got uh, Chad Mendez on a couple days' notice or a couple of weeks' notice, whatever it was, uh, he could have said no and and waited for a fight that he wanted. When he got Nate Diaz on short notice at a higher weight, he could have said no, and he took the chance and lost the fight, but bounced back from it, learned from it, uh, showed his resilience, and you know, still a young guy, 28 years old, uh, and like you said, he's got the world at his fingertips right now, and. Uh, I would definitely like to get a hold of some of that notorious whiskey, but I'm sure it's going to be a rare and expensive commodity. So uh, we'll see if they'll they'll send us some. Uh, Connor, if you're listening, 
<laughs> send us a, send us a, a bottle of, of batch one <laughs> if you would nice. so we can uh, we can give our professional opinion on it all right so uh, anything else on the whole uh, commotion oh the other thing I thought about this fight is is Connor did well despite falling into Floyd's game plan but after seeing him box I definitely believe that he beat the piss out of a pudgy Pauli Malignaggi in a sparring session. <laughs> uh, I just got I have to throw that in there. It's somebody, so I was listening to Brendan Schaub's podcast and they, uh, he had Luke Thomas on there. Luke Thomas said that Paulie was given, given an interview or something and he was talking for a half an hour about how the video clip was a push down, not a knockdown. <laughs> it's like, dude, Come on, <laughs> he hit you and you fell down. I um, definitely buy that that Connor put a beating on him. Now, if Paulie Malignaggi were in shape and had a fight camp himself, uh, and this were uh, a sanctioned match, you know, it might go differently. But from seeing Connor's performance uh, against Floyd Mayweather, I definitely think if you put an out of shape uh, Paulie Malignaggi in there to try and spar twelve rounds, that uh, he would definitely get slapped around a little bit. So that makes that believable. And that being said, I have no desire in seeing that fight. Um, I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, Paulie's going to try and get that fight. I don't think that's going to be a big seller. Uh, what do you think is next for Conor McGregor, Jeff? Do you think it's Paulie Malinati? Do you think he goes back to the UFC? Do you think he tries to take on another uh, boxing match? Uh, a lot of people are saying, like, how could he take this payday and then go back to the UFC? Um, I have an opinion on that as well, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. You know, I'm I might have to jump on that bandwagon. I mean, the dude must have made like nine digits, man. I don't see him going back to MMA um, after a payday like that, man. Uh, especially if he could fight less fights and make more money, I feel like it's just a smarter move for him. Uh, I wouldn't blame him for making that move. So um, I doubt we'll see him in the UFC again. Um, I mean, maybe he'll take one or two more fights in the UFC, but after that, I don't see him there long term. And uh, yeah, dude, I agree with you, man. Uh, Conor McGregor, I I feel like if it had been anybody besides Floyd May Floyd Mayweather, I feel like Conor definitely could have won. Uh, his first box match. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's hard uh, to say too, because if you put him in there against a real aggressive young boxer, uh, it might've been a different story. You know, Floyd plays a laid back game that mm. kind of, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, styles make fights just like anything else. Um, here's my thought on, on Connor's future. I think that Connor has a, a bigger plan in mind and you know, a lot of people criticize him for not getting on board with the fighters union and stuff like that to try and get the fighters more pay. Uh, but when he was asked about whether or not he would return to MMA after getting such a large payday, his response was the game is constantly changing and he's an advocate of a lot of that change. He's a catalyst for a lot of that change. So he's going to have all the chips in his corner to come back to the UFC and especially without John Jones in the picture right now, because he may be facing another suspension from USADA, which we'll get into a little bit later. There's not really any stars in the UFC right now. So uh, Connor's going to have a lot of bargaining chips. He's definitely not going to make a hundred million dollars for an MMA fight, but he can potentially make a lot more. And there's going to be a lot more eyes on MMA as well. Uh, the whole world was talking about this fight. 
And I know a lot of uh, journalists and a lot of other podcasters and uh, people in the MMA world were annoyed by people asking stupid questions like if Connor could throw spinning back fists or, you know, if, if what happens if Connor throws a kick and things like that. And people were getting really annoyed and really frustrated. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great that, uh, you know, people who had no interest in boxing or MMA were asking me questions. You know, even if they did seem like silly questions, they were asking questions and they were genuinely interested and they really wanted to watch this fight. I think it's going to bring a lot more people over to the UFC. Um, you know, if, if they saw the performance that Connor put on in the boxing ring and they know that's not really his realm, they're going to want to see what kind of performances he puts on in the UFC. So his next pay-per-view could potentially be a huge, huge draw, depending who his opponent is and depending how it's marketed and all that. But, uh, you know, the guy has a brilliant mind for business and he's got a lot of the right people around him right now. So I think he has a lot of the bargaining chips in his favor to make a return to MMA and to do it in a really smart way and to make a substantial amount of money. Maybe not, you know, definitely not $100 million or, or anything close to that, but I really feel like he can push the envelope and get more eyes on this sport and, and you know, write the blueprint for other fighters to see how they can potentially make some money too. And you see a lot of guys doing it the right way and you see a lot of guys doing it the wrong way, but, you know, at least they're trying. So instead of joining fighters unions and things like that, he's kind of leading by example. And, uh, you know, he's focused on a much bigger picture here, which I think a lot of people aren't piecing together just yet. But I think, uh, you know, as we move forward, people will start to realize, uh, you know, he's not just focused on the big paycheck. He's focused on uh, much bigger pictures. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the undercard. I don't know how much of it you caught, but I was watching it in my hotel room. Uh, I see you nodding, shaking your head there. Um, so the the co-main event, I guess you would call it, was Gervonta uh, Davis and uh, Francisco Fonseca. And it was a TKO in the eighth round. Uh, and I'm guessing you didn't catch this fight, Jeff, but... Uh, Gervonta Davis, I don't understand how this fight was even sanctioned because, first of all, Gervonta Davis was overweight. He refused to weigh in. So this was a junior lightweight uh, fight. And uh, Gervonta Davis was the champion. He was stripped of his title. So only Francisco had the opportunity to win a title in this match. And um, it was it clearly should have been a disqualification because uh, Gervonta Davis punched Francisco in the back of the head. And then Francisco started to go down and he was down on one knee and Gervonta Davis grabbed him by his head and threw him on the ground. Uh, and I believe he, he rabbit punched him like actually twice in this exchange. Um, and then the, the referee counted him out. And the fight ended in a TKO win for Javante Davis, who proceeded to get on the microphone and sound like a complete dumbass. Uh, not not well-spoken at all. Um, he tried to defend his actions, and then they, they showed it on the, on the screen. They're like, are you going to try and say, uh, you know, this wasn't an illegal shot? And he's like, well, I'm not going to try and say that, but I really hurt him with a body shot before that. So he probably went down from that. Um, just an embarrassment for a fight that had, you know, so many eyes on it uh, and was so important to the sport of boxing, which had a lot to gain uh, from so much attention on it as well. 
really a missed opportunity here to have this asshole uh, in, in the fight right before Conor McGregor and and to do something stupid like that and then sound like a jackass on the microphone. So I know you didn't catch it, Jeff, but uh, based on the recap, what do you think? Uh, do you think this is a missed opportunity for boxing or do you think most people like yourself were probably not even tuning in at that point? Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard, Bill, because I honestly did not watch any fight that was not uh, Mayweather versus McGregor, so it's hard for me to weigh on weigh in on it, but, uh, you know, if I were, you know, Mayweather and, you know, whatever boxing promoters had part in this, I would have put on, you know, a star-studded card, you know, get the best you can out there, so to hear a debacle like that go down, it it just it's not good for business man yeah and i think that that uh brings out a big problem with the boxing industry because a lot of people think you know boxers make a lot more money than uh mma fighters and for the marquee events that's largely true but the problem is you know the guys in the main event are the ones making all the money so they're the ones uh making nine figures uh and everybody else on the card is kind of making peanuts uh, so you you will very rarely see like you know two uh, big name matchups on the same boxing card. We haven't seen that for a long time. I, I can't remember the last time. I haven't been following boxing very closely, but um, you know I can't remember the last time there was two fights on a card that were that were draws. Uh, so it's very different uh, in the MMA world. So I think um, you know the two sports are just marketed very differently. Uh, the fight right before that. Uh, a guy named Badu Jack defeated uh, a guy named uh, Nathan Cleverly. He was Welsh or, or British, I believe. And uh, that was a that was an exciting fight. It was a TKO in the fifth round. A um, lot of action. Uh, Badu Jack uh, went to work on this guy, Cleverly. I didn't know who either of them were, but, uh, you know, I was pretty entertained by that fight. And then, uh, you know, the, the rest of the card, uh, it was okay. I... I don't really understand how boxing is judged these days. So I was a little confused. Like, you know, it's a little easier in MMA where it's like three rounds and it's like, all right, well, this guy won two out of three or three out of three, or, you know, there's only so many, there's only so many ways you could slice it. But in boxing, it's like, well, I think this guy won one, five, seven, nine. And, and, you know, it gets to be a little confusing. You can't even do it in your head. You gotta be like with a pen, pen and pad, uh, following along. Uh, so I didn't follow in that sense, but, um, you know, there was nobody else who stuck out on the card that I was like, oh, I got to see that guy box again, which, you know, uh, you know, from a business perspective, that's what you would kind of want to see. If you're a boxing fan, you'd want to see people get drawn in. Whereas we do that in, in MMA, you know, if you have the two, uh, if you have the main event, you got to, you, you want to put some people, some supporting roles underneath them that are going to uh, get people interested in the future. Um, so in any case, that's that. Uh, we brought up uh, briefly, I touched on the suspension of potential suspension of John Jones. So he tested positive for steroids recently. Uh, and it was, it came from a drug test after the weigh-in in his fight against uh, Daniel Cormier. So he tested clean for his entire fight camp. And then after the weigh-in, he pissed hot for some steroids. Uh, a lot of mixed emotions here. People already denouncing him as the greatest of all time, uh, which I think is pretty ridiculous because if you make your list of the greatest of all time, how many of them do you think took steroids? You know, if Anderson Silva is on that list for you, 
he tested positive for steroids. If, if Fedor is on that list for you, there's a very good reason he never fought in the UFC. Uh, <laughs> Vanderlei Silva's on that list for you, uh, <laughs> and you think that guy's never taken steroids, um, you know, you're living on a different planet. So, uh, of course, everybody's due, uh, you know, a fair trial and everything like that, and you know, he's had some controversy before, tainted supplements and things like that. But if that were the case this time, I would think he would be a little more careful and have his stuff uh, rigorously tested, especially with so much time off. You know, he had some time to figure out, you know, what he's putting in his body. So you got to be held accountable for that sort of thing. So what's your reaction to uh, the John Jones uh, steroid revelation? And how do you think this is going to play out, Jeff? I'm disappointed, Bill. I mean... This guy is, you know, in not just your book, but in a lot of people's minds, he's one of the greatest of all time. This dude has never lost. And I'm sure that he's probably not in need of steroids in order to win. I mean, this dude, he almost killed Leoto Machida um, with his bare hands. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, he messed up some of Vitor Belfort's nerve endings. Um <laughs> Yeah. You know, with a mean Americana that I remember. And, you know, these are just... After having his arm broken by a roided-up Vitor Belfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in the same fight. Um, yeah. You know, th this dude's an animal, man. I, I don't know, you know, what's going on there. But like you said, he is entitled to his own due process. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I just, um, you know, just to make light of the situation, um, <laughs> dude, uh, Chael Sonnen said in an interview, <laughs> I remember the days when the only marquee fighter that would get popped for taking steroids was yours truly. And um, <laughs> it, just, it just makes me laugh and smile because Chael Sonnen, you know, that's 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 such a Chael Sonnen thing to say. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, dude, um, got to give it to Chael Sonnen for that. Uh, I I forgot what his opinion was on, uh, on the whole matter. But, yeah, a lot of people are disappointed in him. Uh, I want to see – what happens, you know, what, you know, uh, I want to see him get his due process and stuff because like you said, man, this dude's an awesome fighter and he's got basically the world at his feet at this point after beating Daniel Cormier. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I, I would kind of reserve to have an opinion until that does happen, because if he does get a suspension, it's probably going to be a two year suspension, uh, which will propel him uh, well into his 30s by the time he's able to fight again. That's if the UFC will have him back. I mean, I doubt the UFC will let John Jones go and let him go to Bellator or anything like that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it kind of lets the wind out of light heavyweight division because there's not a whole lot going on. You know, what do you do? Do you bring Daniel Cormier back and say, like, sorry, uh, here's your title back, and then, you know, he's just a paper champion again? You know, do you have... Daniel Cormier fight Vulcan Ozdemir. Do you have Alexander Gustafsson fight Ozdemir for an interim title? Like, there's not a lot of really interesting options in the light heavyweight division. It, it really does kind of suck the wind out of it. Um, so we got to see what happens. In the meantime, we got a UFC fight night coming up this weekend um, that probably won't do too well in the ratings and this card is just would be a nightmare of a spelling bee i'm looking i'm looking up and down so this is fight night uh it's taking place in holland 
and it's uh, headlined by Stefan Struve and Alexander Volkov, which should actually be a really awesome heavyweight matchup. Uh, and then Jermaine Duranamy has supposedly pulled out of her fight against Marianne Renault. Uh, so uh, that sucks. She's really kind of propelling herself into her relevance. And then as you go down this, uh, this card, it gets more and more ridiculous. Like there's a lot of Zs and a lot of like 15 syllable names on this card, Jeff. I don't even want to like Sabit Magomed Shapiropov is one of the names on here. And then you got uh, Siriar Badu Daraza and Bojan Vaikokovic. Uh, I'm just like, I'm butchering all these, uh, not intentionally, but like just kind of perusing the list and not, you know, being very diligent about pronunciation. But uh, it'll be kind of nice to go back to MMA uh, with a card that's, you know, there's no pressure really to watch it. <laughs> you know, as, as, as someone who, uh, you know, you and I both feel like we have an obligation to kind of watch everything out there. Uh, so we have stuff to talk about here. You know, not that we just can't bullshit about, you know, trips to Chicago and and uh, steel beer and, and all the other steel things. Steel reserve. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, there's no real pressure. I don't feel like this is going to be a widely watched uh, card. So what what are your feelings on that? And um, one more thing about the McGregor-Mayweather fight while we're talking about numbers. Do you think it it uh, had a chance to break the all-time uh, pay-per-view record? Because that was something I was talking about leading up to the fight. Um, it currently held by uh, Pacquiao-Mayweather. Uh, so what what's your feeling about this uh, fight night from Holland? And uh, do you think Mayweather... Uh, McGregor did the numbers it was projected to. I think that the Mayweather-McGregor card did well. I don't know if it'll break the Pacquiao-Mayweather uh, record because there was a lot of uh, hype and buildup going into that. You know, it was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen, a lot of that stuff. And um, I think people just, um, especially boxing fans, um, they just knew more about what was going on. You know, um, if you're not in – I mean, like, if you're – an MMA fan passing through, you know a little bit about McGregor, but you know, to a boxing fan, there there wasn't a lot of relevance other than to make money for that fight. Uh, so I don't think that it will do as well as the Pacquiao fight. And as for this uh, Saturday card, dude, it's at three o'clock in the afternoon. I highly doubt I'm going to be able to watch it. Um, <laughs> I got something going on Saturday, but um, you know, I might go back and check it out. A little disappointed that Jermaine Durandamy had to pull out of her fight with uh, all the, the stuff going on with her. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of erasing the fact that she was uh, the women, the first women's uh, featherweight champion in the UFC, uh, you know, which is a bit of a shame. I know she kind of ran from Chris Cyborg, um, but, dude, I would run from Chris Cyborg, and I weigh like 100 pounds more than her. <laughs> so, so you can't blame her. Um, and also, you know, she, she did put in the work to become champion. So uh, not looking good for Durand to me. Um, uh, I got to be honest with you, Bill. There's not a lot on this card that stands out to me. Um, I don't know too many of the guys on this card roster here. But uh, I don't know if maybe that was a strategy by the UFC, you know, especially after the, the roller coaster that was 
uh, this past weekend's card. They probably wanted to reel it in a little bit um, and, you know, plan for the next one, essentially. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good strategic move because it, it keeps them active and, you know, everybody in the States is going to be a little bit burnt out after Mayweather or McGregor. So uh, maybe give the fans in Europe and, uh, you know, and in Russia, which is where a lot of these uh, fighters come from, it seems, maybe give them something to watch uh, in the interim and in the aftermath of this because I, I feel like a lot of them maybe, uh, except in Ireland, obviously a lot of people in Europe and Russia got into the Mayweather-McGregor uh, match. So, you know, kind of give something to hold them over for a little bit, do something for those fans over there. Uh, as far as uh, Mayweather-McGregor uh, numbers, I feel like it didn't break the pay-per-view record, and not because I feel like there wasn't enough hype. I feel like this was a cultural phenomenon. So I think a lot of people wanted to watch it in groups, you know, uh, and definitely a lot of the Irish fans banded together. You know, if you're an Irish Conor McGregor fan, you want to be out in an Irish bar, you know, drinking Jameson and Guinness, you know, with all your brethren. Um, and there was a lot of viewing parties where I was in Chicago. You know, I was trying to find a bar to go watch the fight, and everywhere was charging about like 30 40 Some places were charging $100-plus to reserve a table uh, to watch this fight. So I feel like a lot of people wanted to be in a big group to watch this, which, you know, if there's, if there's 250 people at a bar that only counts as one pay-per-view buy, I believe, uh, I'm not sure how the statistics work on that because I know the bar has to pay per person. Uh, but I don't know if the pay-per-view buy counts as one or, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I feel like you know a lot of people are having parties at their house too. So you know you get you get twenty five, thirty people in a clip order in the pay per view that counts as one order. Um, so that's why I feel like it may not uh, break the numbers, but I definitely feel like it was more talked about than uh, Pacquiao Mayweather, and I think a lot more people were interested. It's just whether or not people bought it because you had all these casual fans that were just kind of looking for somewhere to watch it. They wouldn't necessarily pay for it, you know. So that's kind of my thought on that. Uh, Bellator had a card uh, this past weekend, and my browser window closed, so I don't have that uh, <laughs> card in front of me. And truth be told, I didn't watch it, but I know you did, Jeff, so you want to kind of give me the cliff notes on this Bellator event and uh, which matches might be worth taking a look at for the listeners. Yeah, Bill. So I thought this was a really solid card by Bellator. Um, the main event was Andre Kershikov, who is the former welterweight champion of Bellator. Mm -hmm. uh, he defeated Chidi Bang Bang and Jikawani via TKO, and uh, he just grounded and pounded him. Um, and, you know, it was it was a really – I thought it was he was going to have a harder time than he did. He did take a few hard shots in the early goings of round one. But uh, then, you know, he's he's got those Russian hammers for hands. So, you know, he was able to take Njikwani down and, you know, kind of just beat the shit out of him. So um, I'll definitely go back and watch that one if you missed it. And then the co-main event was Fernando Gonzalez versus Brennan Ward. Uh, Brennan Ward, always an exciting fighter to watch, always moves forward. He's, he moves at a killer pace and... Honestly, I had him winning the first two rounds, uh, but in the third round, he went for a takedown. It was a little sloppy, 
uh, I, I want to say a little bit of a half-ass takedown. And, you know, it was a double leg where he tucked his head to the outside and just left it, I guess, too far away from Gonzalez's body. So Gonzalez locked him up in a guillotine. And as soon as they hit the ground, uh, Brandon Ward was tapping. So you know it was tight. Uh, definitely go back and watch that one. Um, then there was Bruna Ellen versus Vita Ortega. That was a pretty solid fight. Uh, Bruna Ellen is a Brazilian, uh, I, I want to say a Kung Fu fighter. Um, I think she was on the national Brazilian national Kung Fu team. Uh, so pretty solid performance. And then AJ McKee versus Blair Tugman. Uh, mm -hmm. I only caught the last round of that, but it was pretty solid. Uh, I would go back and watch that. Uh, so that's it for the main card, unfortunately. Uh, Bellator doesn't really do undercards on TV, so I didn't catch that. But, yeah, their uh, live stream is a little sloppy as well. Yeah, they don't yeah. The best, uh, they don't have the best platform for that. If, if you know anybody on their undercards, it's it's kind of hard to catch it. Um, but our friend uh, Colleen Snyder was on that undercard. Unfortunately, she suffered a knee injury in the first round of the fight and uh, wasn't able to continue. So uh, it sucks to see her. Uh, take a loss like that, TKO loss, but, um, you know, we know Colleen, she'll be back uh, training as soon as she's physically able, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Colleen Schneider, shout out to her, a friend of the show. Unfortunately, uh, Dr. Stoppage due to, like you said, uh, knee injury. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch that fight because, um, again, like we said, it was an undercard fight, but uh, mm -hmm. main card was pretty solid. Uh, so go back and check that out. Uh, so Bill, I want to move on a little bit from Bellator and talk about what's going on in the UFC's heavyweight division, because we talked about how Junior Dos Santos had to pull out of the fight against Francis Ngannou. They had something else set up for him, but apparently that fell through. So, so, um, Ngannou has gone on to basically call out the champ, Stipe Miocic, so what do you think, Bill? Do you think that he's done enough in his young UFC career to merit a shot at the champ? No, I don't. Uh, as impressive as Ngannou has been, uh, I don't think he's deserving as a title shot right now. Uh, but at the same time, who else do you put in there? Obviously, the fight that makes the most sense is Stipe and Kane. That's the fight I would love to see. That's the fight. Uh, that would be the heavyweight fight. Uh, to make for sure and I think it would be an awesome matchup they're very similar in style but I guess uh, Kane's still dealing with some injuries uh, he's not able to you know he's not able to fight right now uh, I, I'm not crazy about Ngano versus Stipe just because you know Ngano doesn't have the names under his belt yet I mean, he beat Arlovsky pretty handily, but, you know, an older Arlovsky. So he's got the former champion under his belt there. I would like to see him under the spotlight a little more. I'd like to see him, like, main event, a fight night or something against, you know, a, a top contender before he gets that title shot. Uh, and, you know, even even just after one more fight, if he gets, you know, if he gets a, a knockout in an impressive fashion over, like, a top seven guy in the main event of a fight night, then I would say, you know, absolutely give him the title shot. Um, but I guess like who else do you really put him in there with? Uh, I'm, and 
I don't really know. Uh, the other thing you could do, if Kane's not able to step up, maybe his teammate Daniel Cormier can move back up to heavyweight. Uh, I would be much more interested in a Daniel Cormier Steve Amiotic fight uh, than I would in Nganu right now. Uh, I would definitely like to see Nganu fight for the belt one day, just not yet. What, oh, what's your take on this situation, Jeff? Uh, sorry, you broke up a little bit. Uh, what was your question? I, I just asked, what, what would you like to see happen in this scenario? Oh, okay. Uh, so, honestly, I would like to see Francis Ngannou fight Travis Brown. Uh, Travis Brown is on a bit of a losing streak. What do you have against so Travis I, Brown? Do you want to see him die in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I, I feel like it, it's it's kind of a redemption scenario for him. So if he beats, you know, the young and up-and-comer, you know, I feel like it would rejuvenate his career a little bit because he's been on a bit of a skid. Um, but at the same time, he could get some irreparable brain damage fighting Francis Ngannou. Um, but, you know, I because uh, I'm in the same boat, dude. I don't see Ngannou fighting for the belt yet. Uh, I don't think he's got the experience yet. Um, I'd like to see him in the cage a few more times against some bigger names, some guys in the top five. Um, Andre Arlovsky's great, but like you said, he's up there in age. Um, and so I'd like to see him probably go up against Travis Brown, and then I can't think of anybody off the top of my head besides Verdum and Dos Santos who have been ruled out already. Um, yeah. You know what I wouldn't mind seeing that that the UFC probably wouldn't do, and it's not a marketable fight at all, but I would love to see it, is Nganu versus Olenek, the mm. guy who just beat Travis Brown. That would be an interesting matchup because Olenek has that nasty wrestling we haven't seen Ngannou uh, really go against anybody who's not just going to stand and bang with him. So we would get a chance to see, like, what his grappling is like. But then you risk the opportunity of, like, you know, him getting laid on for three rounds or five-round main event or getting choked out, and then there goes your superstar. Uh, so Olenek is tricky, but that's what makes that fight interesting to me because Ngannou could definitely wipe him out with one shot. But then, you know, Olenek has those... Those tricky submissions, fucking Ezekiel choke while being mounted. I, you know, that's something that like, you know, as grapplers, we don't, we don't forget something like that. That's like a once in a lifetime submission to witness. But you know, the average fan isn't going to give a shit about that. And you, you could explain it to him all day, like how unlikely it is that he pulled off that submission, but it won't make a difference. But for me, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's an intriguing fight, but you know, I always have to, think from a business perspective as well and it's definitely not a smart idea for any parties involved except for Olenek probably um but that's how I see that one going down all right Jeff uh anything else that you wanted to get off your chest in this episode uh I can't I got nothing off the top of my head no all right yeah we pretty much covered it all if you want to get a hold of Jeff you can reach out to him on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson and you guys know how to get a hold of me by now at MMA on the rocks on all your favorite social media platforms, as well as iTunes, Google Play, anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, so please, if you have the means, uh, make a donation to the American Red Cross uh, to help out the people in Houston. And if you know of any other charities that are helping out down there, please uh, send me a link on social media. I'll be happy to share that out. Um, and for those of you who have the means, again, you know, please uh, 
help out our, our fellow countrymen who are in need right now. And again, we hope everybody makes it home safe. We hope everybody's uh, family members are safe who live in the area. And that's all we got for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.